All right, this morning we're going to be in two passages. We're going to be looking at Judges chapter 2, uh, verses 10 through 12, and we're also going to be looking at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. Uh, we're going to be looking at various commands of God, and we're going to be looking at the consequences that ensued for not fulfilling those commands. We're going to do things a little bit backwards, and that we're going to start out with looking at the consequences, and then we're going to turn and look at the commands that were given that ultimately were not fulfilled. So if you're in Judges chapter 2, we're going to begin reading verses 10 through 12, and that should be on the screen as well. Judges chapter 2, verses 10 through 12, it says this, And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. Now it's important to understand where we are in the biblical narrative here. That at this point, we've had the exodus that's occurred. We've had the, the Israelites went through the wilderness. The Israelites um, or the baton being passed from Moses to, to Joshua. Joshua has led the Israelites over the Jordan River and into the promised land. They've had a great conquest. And then just at the end of what appears to be our narrative in a few verses before the passage we just read, we have what appears to be a conclusion to this narrative. In Judges chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, we have what appears to be a conclusion where it reads this. Then when Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. So it appears in these few verses that we have a conclusion to that narrative that started in the Exodus and now it's ended in the Promised Land. It appears the curtains have closed in the story and this were a movie. The end credits will begin to roll. But just like many movies today, at the very end of the movie, we have a little end credit scene, a tease more or less, setting up what is to come in the next installment. That's what verses 10 through 12 are. They serve as that tease, that little foretaste as to what is to come in the life of Israel. And it doesn't look good. It appears to be consequences for them. So what has happened? What has happened between verses 6 and 7 and then verses 10 through 12? In just one generation, Israel has gone from being a people who knew the Lord, who had knew the works that he had done for the people of Israel, to being a people who did not know the Lord, who did not know the works that he had done for them. In just one generation, they went from serving the Lord to now serving the Baals or serving the idols of the peoples that were around them. What has happened that there's been such a stark change in the life of Israel in just one generation? Well, it appears that the people of Israel, or Joshua and the elders in particular, that they did not lead Israel uh, they did not fulfill the commands that God had given to them. The commands that God gave to them, we see these in Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you would, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6 with me. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 15, it gives us the commands of God that the people of Israel did not fulfill. Now, this is going to be a long passage, so buckle up as we read this. 6, 1 through 15. 
Now, this is a commandment, the statutes and the rules. The Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, and you and your sons and your sons' sons, by keeping all his statutes and commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord the God of your fathers has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as signs on, on your hands, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go out to the other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. We see in this passage where God promised Israel that he would bring them out of Egypt, and he would bring them to the promised land. And not only would he give them a land, but he would give to them all this existing infrastructure, its possessions, its fruits. He was going to give it all to them. These blessings of God would be great. They would be abounding. It's as if God is saying, listen, I'm going to give all of this to you. I'm giving it all to you. All you have to do is to remember who gave it to you. Follow my commands and then tell the next generation to do the same. In other words, they were to fear the Lord. They were to obey the Lord. And they were to instruct the next generation to do the same. But we see in Judges what happened. That ultimately this didn't happen. They didn't fulfill this command. And we see the consequences of their failure to not fulfill this command. I believe there's a warning for us in this passage that we need to observe. And there's several points that we can take away from this passage as well. The first thing is that we need to have the fear of the Lord. In Deuteronomy, we saw where they were instructed to fear the Lord. Proverbs tells us the fear of the Lord leads to the knowledge of God. This is basic question, what does it mean to fear the Lord? Well, John, a couple of weeks ago, helped us give a concise uh, definition of understanding what this means. It's having a right understanding of ourselves in light of who God is. It is this culmination of humility and reverence that culminates in worship of God. That's what it means to have the fear of of the Lord is recognizing that He is the Creator and that we are the created, that He is infinite, we are, are finite, He is all powerful, all knowing, and always present. We are not. It's recognizing that we are sinners and He is righteous. It's recognizing that who we are in light of who He is, that we deserve wrath, He deserves worship. Having a right understanding of ourselves in light of who God is should culminate in the fear of the Lord. It should cause us to worship him. That's what it means to have the fear of the Lord. This is 
Think about all the great things that God had done for Israel, how he had provided for them, how he led them out of Egypt, out of bondage. He led them throughout the Exodus. He provided for them in the wilderness. He was the one who won the victories for them in the conquest. He did it all. They did nothing. They didn't deserve it. They didn't earn it. Yet God was the one who did it all for them. And then he graciously turned around and gave it all to them. This realization of their reality, it should have resulted in reverence and humility. It should have resulted in the fear of the Lord. Do you have the fear of the Lord? Do you recognize, do you have a right understanding of yourself in light of who God is? Do you recognize that you were made in God's image, yet because of your rebellion, your sin, you now deserve God's wrath? Do you recognize that because you're dead in your sin, you cannot atone for your own sin? That in your natural state, that you stand exposed, guilty, and condemned? But now for those who are in Christ, now we stand covered in the righteousness of Christ. That our sins have been forgiven. That we no longer are under condemnation. Scripture tells us that. That there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are found in Christ Jesus. The recognition of this reality should humble us. It should produce in us reverence for God. It should produce in us the fear of the Lord. Culminating in worship for him. Now if you're an unbeliever here today, then you stand in your natural state. You stand in this natural state of being exposed being guilty, being condemned. But the invitation for forgiveness is open wide for all. See, Psalm 130 tells us that forgiveness is the gateway through which we come to truly fear the Lord. So the the call from Jesus is clear. It is to repent and believe for the forgiveness of sin. 1 John tells us, 1 John tells us that if we confess our sin, he is faithfully just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. So that's here, that is you here today, then that is your call, it is to repent and believe. The second thing we see from Deuteronomy is not only we'd have to fear the Lord, but we're also to obey the Lord, to serve the Lord. This is what the Israelites were commanded to do. In Joshua 24, we also see the call to fear the Lord and serve in sincerity and in faithfulness. Unfortunately, the history of Israel is ripe with examples of disobedience. If you have any questions, just look at the rest of Judges. And you can see clear patterns of disobedience all throughout Scripture. But this call to obedience is not just one for ancient Israel. It is also for one for us too, church. We see that Scripture tells us that if we know God, if we love God, then we will follow his commands. We will keep his commands. Genuine love for God results in obedience to God. Ezekiel 36 tells us that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, he causes us to walk in God's statutes and to obey his rules. That we read God's word and we obey his word. And some would say this sounds an awful lot like legalism. That we find a list, we make a rules, and we check it off. But legalism and obedience are very different things. Legalism is a matter of doing good works to try to earn God's favor. Obedience is doing good works because we already have God's favor. Legalism is a matter of doing good works and that being a, a, a root. Obedience is doing good works as being the fruit. There's a big difference between legalism and obedience to God. Now, some will swing the other side and say, we don't need to even follow commands because we have God's grace. We have grace. Why is there a need 
to obey God's commands. But Paul is quite emphatic in saying that you don't understand grace then. Romans tells us, what, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may abound? By no means. Yes, because of grace, we are now free. We are now free to obey God. Before, in our natural state, we could not obey God. Scripture tells us that we were slaves to sin. All we could do in our natural state was follow that master. But now because we are in Christ, we are now slaves to Christ. Now we can and we should obey our new master, who is Christ Jesus. His commands, they aren't a burden. His commands are a blessing for us. Now, some would say that I struggle with obedience to God. Well, if you're struggling with obedience to God, consider the source of our obedience. Is not the source of our obedience Christ's love? So how can we grow in our love for Christ? It's by spending time in his word. It's by spending time in prayer to him. It's by spending time reflecting, remembering what Christ has done for us. As Jeff read this morning, it's recounting what God has done throughout the ages for us. It's by speaking with others around you. It's by being part of Christ's body, being part of the church. A life of obedience is not one of being passive. It's one of being active. We must be active in our walk, not passive. As we grow in our love for God, as our love for God grows and deepens, so too will our obedience for God grow and deepen. Our third observation from this text, not only are we to fear the Lord and obey the Lord, but we're also to instruct the next generation in the Lord. We're to teach them about what God has done. See, this really is the crux of the problem we see in Judges. In Judges verse, uh, chapter 2, verses 10 through 12, we see that the reality that has resulted here, that when they did not instruct the next generation, what happened? That they did not know the Lord. They did not know the works that he had done among them. The command that was given in Deuteronomy wasn't just for that one generation. Instead, it says it was for the sons and for the sons' sons. In other words, it's for all the generations that are to come. We continue to pass this down from generation to generation. Now, this next generation, they certainly benefited from their forefathers' faithfulness. They inherited the fruit. They're, in, they're there. But the problem is they did not have a genuine love for Christ or a genuine love for God. They did not serve him. They did not know him. And we saw what happened. They ultimately went the way of the world. They followed after the idols, the gods of the people that were around them. And this shouldn't have caught them by surprise. We saw back in Deuteronomy where God warned them of this, that lest you forget, then they will go after the ways of the world. They will follow to the gods of the peoples who were among them. And that's exactly what happened over in Judges. They did not know the Lord. They did not know what he had done. And instead, they served the gods of the peoples around them. This wasn't just a problem for ancient Israel. This is a warning for us too, church. This is a warning for us too, that the call to instruct the next generation was not just for ancient Israel. It is also for us too as a church. We see in Ephesians where Paul is imploring parents, specifically fathers, to raise up their children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. This command to instruct the next generation is for us as well. Our children will, or they should, be raised in a distinct Christian culture with beneficial 
ethics. They'll attend, be part of regular church services, part of normal Christian functions. But if we're not careful, if we're not instructing them in the fear of the Lord, in obedience to the Lord, then we risk them forgetting the Lord. We risk the reality of what happened in Judges, that ultimately that they follow after the idols of the peoples around them. It's not just a matter of being raised in a culture or when certain ethics is instructing them in the fear and the obedience to the Lord. Otherwise, we risk seeing a generational decline. See, this generational decline, this is part of, part of my story. My parents, they were both raised in a, a Christian environment, if you would call it. They attended normal Christian functions. They were part of a church service regularly. My grandparents, their parents, they knew the Lord. They served the Lord. But then you get to my generation, my sister and I, that was certainly not the case. We didn't attend church services regularly, much less talk about God in the home. Now, I would identify as a Christian at that point, but I knew nothing of Christianity. All I knew was there was some guy named Jesus, and somehow he was related to a cross. That is not genuine Christianity. That is false. Under that belief, I would have died and gone to hell. Now, thanks be to God that I would later come to faith, but that was not a genuine faith. That was a generational decline of lack of teaching the next generation. We saw in my, my grandparents' faithfulness. They knew the Lord, the, the Lord and they served him. My parents, they knew of the Lord. They did not serve him. And then my sister and I, we did not know the Lord and we did not serve him. Again, I later came to faith, but it wasn't due to the instructions of my parents. It was due to the steadfastness of others in pointing me to Christ. It was because of individuals within my community who pointed me to Christ, who shared the gospel with me. Now, if you're here this morning and you think, I don't have any kids or grandkids, so this doesn't apply to me, I can check out. This is not the case. I, I'm certain you have individuals within your circle of influence, whether that's nieces, nephews, a friend's kid, a grandkid, a neighborhood kid. There are children within your circle of influence that you certainly could be pointing towards Christ. Those kids who are in your midst, those could very well be the same kids that I was, where I did not receive instruction within in my home, but it was due to the faithfulness of others in pointing me to Christ. So if that's you this morning, and you don't have any kids or grandkids, don't think it doesn't apply to you. That may you be the person that points those children to Christ just as those did for me. Now, that's kind of as an aside. but So back to the, the main point here. So we see this call to instruct the next generation. Well, in Judges, we see where this call is twofold. It's called to not only teach them about God, but it's to teach them about what God has done among them, right? What God has, or about who God is, about what God has done among them. We should actively be teaching our children about God, teaching them scripture, teaching them doctrine. They can handle it. Teaching them about what God has done throughout the generations prior for other faithful believers. Unfortunately, many people have had this wrong perception that the Christianity began here recently. No, God has been faithful for centuries past. There's a long history we can look back and tell of and point to see how God has been faithful in centuries past. This is part of your obligation as parents, as grandparents. This is your call. This is not something you can merely regulate or relegate to the church. It must begin within your homes as parents and as grandparents. And we further see in Deuteronomy that this call is not something that just happens occasionally or happens by, by happenstance. 
Instead, they would have been doing this when? Diligently. Diligently, and when were they to do it? When they sit in their houses, when they walk by the way, when they lie down, when they rise. This is part of be a normal part, a regular part of their family experience. It's supposed to be diligent and regular. This is supposed to be a normal thing in the life of the family, that the parents, the grandparents are constantly pointing them back to the Lord. In, in uh, his book, Family Worship, Dr. Donald Whitney, we have several copies around the church, but his book, he gives three very simple and practical uh, steps and tools that we can use to instruct our children, our grandchildren within the home. It's very simple. It is to read, it is to sing, and it is to pray. That in the home, we read together, whether it's opening up scripture itself, or they're too young or very young, using a storybook, whether it's using a single verse or an expanded passage, the point is we're reading scripture together within our homes, that the children and grandchildren are seeing the Bible open. They're seeing God's word open daily within their home, not just on a church service on a Sunday. We're to sing with them, whether it's a, a single a single chorus, whether it's an entire song, whether it's from an album, from YouTube, whether it's from a hymnal, the point is we're joining our voices together as a family and praise to God. They're not only seeing their parents and their grandparents read scripture together, they're also hearing them sing truths aloud. We're also to pray together, whether that's a single person, whether it's as a group. The point is we're praying together. And this can be brief, it can be five minutes, it can be much longer. The point is are we diligently and regularly teaching the next generation about who God is? In addition to teaching them about who God is, we're also called to teach them, tell them about what God has done among us. Consider ancient Israel, that they were to tell about what God had done for them, about how God had delivered them from the hand of Pharaoh, how he had led them throughout the Exodus, how he had provided for them in the wilderness, how he won the battles for them in the conquest, how he gave them the promised land, how he fulfilled the, the, fulfilled the promises to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. They were to recall what God had done for them, what God had done among them. And we, too, are called to tell the next generation about what God has done among us. Do our children, do our grandchildren know of our testimony? Do they know what God has done for us, not merely of our conversion, but how God has been working throughout our entire lives up to even this point. Not merely having a head knowledge, but hearing and seeing how God has been at work in your life. Is it not uh, beneficial? Is it not encouraging to hear of God's faithfulness to others? Does it not encourage our own faith? So too may it be with our children and grandchildren that they, when they hear of God's faithfulness to you, of how he has delivered you throughout your life and what he has done among you. May it not encourage them in their faith as well. We are called to instruct the next generation, tell them about God and about what he has done among us. So how are we doing, church? How am I? How are you doing in this regard? Do we just assume that the next generation, that they're going to be faithful because they've been raised in a, in a Christian environment? Do we just assume that, that they're going to come to faith because of what they're raised around? Or are we diligently teaching the faith to our children and to our grandchildren? Are we talking to our children and grandchildren about the faith 
in all aspects of our lives? Are we constantly pointing them back towards God? Are we doing this merely within the confines of a church service? Are we teaching the next generation to know God? Are we teaching them about what God has done among us? Now, church, I'm, I'm not naive. I, I recognize that we can't just uh, guarantee believers merely by the way we instruct them. It's not some formula, one, two, three, boom, now they're a believer. I recognize that, that we, we can raise them in a Christian environment, that we can diligently teach them to know God and the works he has done among us, but ultimately, they themselves must repent and believe, that they individually must respond to the gospel. We can plant seeds of faith. We can, we can uh, water them with right nurturing, but God ultimately is the one who gives the growth. They must respond to the gospel and repentance and faith. Now, if that is you here today, and you have not responded to the call, then it's clear, repent and believe. May today, as Jeff said, may today, or Eric said, may today be the day of your salvation. As we conclude our time this morning, may these passages serve as a sobering warning for us and as a reminder for us that in just one generation, the Israelites went from being a people who feared the Lord to being a people who did not. They went from being a people who obeyed the Lord to being a people who did not. That They went from being a people who knew the Lord and the works he had done among them to being a people who did not. We too, church, are always just one generation away. It's been oftentimes said that spiritual amnesia leads to spiritual apostasy, that we must be diligent and regular in instructing the next generation, teaching the next generation about what God has done among us and about who he is. Now, if you're part of a family that has a legacy of faithfulness, then, then praise God. Thank God for what he has done in your family. Thank those who have come before you for their steadfastness, their diligence. If you're part of a family where this is not the case, then may your family today, may your family now be the one that breaks this generational decline. May it be said of you that for you and your house that you will serve the Lord that you will raise your children up in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. You can be summarized in this way, that may you fear the Lord, may you obey the Lord, and may you instruct the next generation to do the same. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that we were able to gather this morning as a sit under the teaching of your word. God, I pray that when we recall these, these accounts in history, God, they don't just fly by us from your stories. God, they sink in as real historical events. God, that we take away lessons, God, that we would be all the wiser from seeing what has happened in the past. God, I pray for us as a church, God, that we would continue to grow in this individually and corporately, God, that we would grow in our, our fear of you, God, that we would obey you, and that we would continue to instruct the next generation in your ways. God, help us in all that we do. We thank you for Jesus. Jesus, may we serve you all of our days. We pray these things to you.